All right, Hokie fans, it is Sunday, November 7th at 11.14. West Coast time. Billy Ray has a cold. Yeah, Billy Ray has a cold. But I'm here on the pre-roll to give you guys some exciting, exciting news. So, first podcast we're putting out this week is a basketball season preview. This is the second part of Mike McDaniel and Ed Williams diving into our roster, the schedule, and everything going else. But before that, we had an interview with Luke Hancock. If you guys are not familiar, Luke Hancock started his basketball playing journey at George Mason and ended up at Louisville winning the final Big East, as we know it, tournament and also a national champion. He is from Roanoke. He works for the ACC Network. And Luke dove into predicting Virginia Tech to win the ACC outright this year. Uh, He was one of the reporters that picked us to win it outright. We hit him up. Shout out to Evan Massengill for making it happen, and we were able to sit down with Luke and talk about that. So first, Luke Hancock, second, Ed and Mike diving into basketball, and we will have the post-Boston College post-mortem coming to you later this week. But enjoy, and let's, don't forget, set your clocks back an hour this Monday morning at 2 a.m. Don't forget, fall back, spring forward. That's what you got to know. But here we go. everybody welcome back to the sons of saturday podcast it's friday morning Hokies play a little football tonight but we're actually here to talk a little hokey hoops here with luke hancock of the acc network before we do that luke tell me do you like poetry uh, I uh, I have an appreciation. I, I don't know if I could say I'm a, I'm an avid fan of poetry. I, I feel like this is a leading question, though. <laughs> so we have a hokey haiku for you today, uh, submitted by Grant Watson and brought to you by our friends at the Main Street Pharmacy. So here we go. Luke picks the Hokies, a Hidden Valley legend, Final Four MVP. Grant, I got I got to tell you, man, that uh, that last stanza of the haiku it's six syllables not five uh but what do you think of that poem i think it's quality man i love it i love it i love the whole <laughs> here and appreciate the love that's a good start love it awesome so just a little personal background for luke before we get into it here from the great city of roanoke hidden valley high school star city of the south uh, luke started his career at george mason transferred to louisville and cut down the nets at the 2013 Final Four, was also named the most outstanding player of the 2013 NCAA tournament. Now he is a basketball analyst on the HCC Network, and uh, we're happy to have him here on the Sons of Saturday this morning. So, Luke, welcome. Man, thank you very much. I'm excited to to get to chop it up with you guys, man. My my love of ACC basketball started certainly with Virginia Tech. And uh, I remember some of those teams fondly and some of those moments in Castle. And um, I can't wait to chop it up with you guys, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, all right, let's take it from the top here. We just heard that you have a newborn baby at home, beautiful baby girl, the newest addition to Team Hancock. Now, you played for both Jim Laranega 
and Rick Pitino, who are two coaches who are good at their in-game adjustments. How have the in-game adjustments been to this new lifestyle in the Hancock house? <laughs> That's a great question, man. At uh, at five and a half weeks, though, you are uh, you are just hanging on for dear life uh, as a as a first timer. You know, you're. Um, I'm just trying to take it all in. You know, I was up at three a.m. last night, and and she's kind of struggling to sleep a little bit. And you know, I know frustration sets in at times, but you have those moments where it's just you and your newborn, and it, nobody else is around, and the house is quiet. And I just try and take all those moments in and, um, you know, you, you sleep when you can and you, you just make it work. But uh, in-game adjustments, I'm definitely a little better on, on the basketball court because I just I follow the, the plan and what I'm supposed to do uh, over and over again until it works. And so I'm, I've got all the little baby tips and, and pointers, that's for sure. <laughs> Learning as we go here. That's and it. then, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we had this connection here. Uh, through our friend Evan Massengill from the Hokie Club, you know, from Virginia Tech Athletics. What's it like knowing the Evan Massengill? And then does that make you an honorary Hokie in his eyes or in your eyes? Oh, I hope I'm an honorary Hokie. I'll start there for sure. Uh, my dad went to Virginia Tech. My brother went to Virginia Tech. Um, I grew up going to Virginia Tech football and basketball games. Uh, you know, my dad is a, uh, he was a sports guy like you watch, but he wasn't incredibly passionate about it. He didn't have the same passion that I, I do certainly. Um, but I, I mean, one of my most vivid memories is Matt Ryan coming in and, and throwing that late touchdown pass. Um, at Man, we Boston in college this week, you have to do this. You got to do this right now. <laughs> I hear you. I knew that I would stick a little bit, um, <laughs> just as far as like an iconic game and, just a ton of fun being, being at Lane stadium for that one. Um, is, it was just, it's like etched in my memory, just the greatness that was out there and, and how much fun it was and how intense the game was. And I've got tons of those memories about, about castle Coliseum and Evan has been a, a through and through hokey forever. I mean, he was wearing his Virginia tech stuff at every campus we were on at George Mason or Louisville. Um, and he's just one of the best guys I've ever met, you know, would do anything for you shirt off your back kind of guy. And, and, um, you know, has always been there for me and we've just been great friends for a long time. And I'm excited that he's gone back to work with Virginia Tech and um, wants to be an AD someday. And and uh, it's just so put together and such a great person. I think it'll happen. So let's transition into talking about the Big East. And for those of you youngsters that may be listening to the podcast, um, you may think, wow, the ACC, it's the paramount. It is college basketball. Well, the Big East used to be what college basketball was all about. The Big East had Georgetown, Marquette, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Notre Dame, Louisville. They had West Virginia back in the day, Connecticut, Cincinnati, St. John's. You can go up and down the list. Look it up. Luke, you were on the you were in the Big East the last year it existed. You won the Big East the last year it existed, no matter how hard people try to wipe that away from the internet. Uh, and you won the national championship as the last representative for the Big East. So I wanted to ask you, how could you describe just participating in that league? What was it like? What was the gauntlet like? Um, and some of the best memories you have from your time in the Big East? Well, you got to give credit to the Big East still being around. I mean, it's it's not gone. It's just different, right? right. You know, okay. the big, different. right. The the Big East that I played in when you were sending you know double digit teams to the NCAA tournament. And you're playing in Madison Square Garden. That's when I feel like the transition happened is once they stopped having that tournament 
and just the excitement and that last Syracuse Louisville battle to win the championship, man, I, I feel like it definitely changed after that. You know, Syracuse goes to the ACC and Louisville goes to the ACC and they seem to shift from, you know, this, this total focus to more just on the basketball side. But it's really why I went to, to, to Louisville. You know, I'm looking at the schedule and I see you're going to play number two, Kentucky, number eight, Georgetown, number 13, Syracuse, and number five, Villanova. And that's like in a seven-day stretch. And I was like, man, that is what I want to be a part of. I want to go play the best, you know, week in and week out. And I want to, I was either going to go to the best academic school I could possibly go to, or I was going to go to a situation where I really felt like we had a chance to win a national championship. And so uh, when I was making my transition, you mentioned I, I played for Jim Laranega and I played for Rick Pitino, two Italian, two, Nor two Italian New Yorkers. They could not be any different. You know, one coach L is, is a little bit more cerebral. He was, he was a thinker, you know, he might've cursed at me once or twice, you know, I go to Louisville and it's so intense and I felt like my first name was a curse word and, you know, coach is just on you kind of nonstop and, and just that pressure cooker that brings out the best in people. Rick was so good at that. Um, but when, when we were playing in the big East, it was so much fun because basketball wise, you knew that was, that was the best conference at the time. And you had the juggernauts all around you. And when we made that transition and, and, um, or I made that transition going to the final four the year before that and playing Kentucky and losing and being a red shirt and not being able to, to go out there and battle it out was the most motivating thing I've ever been a part of. And those experiences where you go and lose in a tournament, but you almost make it and you bring back a good core. It's one of the reasons why I like Virginia tech this year is, is they have such a good season and then ACC tournament, they get beat up Carolina with the, the four giants that they had. And then the Florida game in the tournament, uh, they, they just didn't play well and they end up dropping their, their last two games. And I know it had to be disappointing. Those are motivating moments. And, and, um, my redshirt year was definitely motivating, but the Big East was just so special at the time. There were so many great teams and great players every single week that uh, that that pressure just brought out the best in us, and it was so much fun. And um, that Big East tournament is something I'll never forget. That Syracuse game is probably my second favorite game ever. National championship game probably wins. I was there for that Syracuse game the last year of the Big East tournament. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about the Hokies in general. Uh, yes, you did pick us to win the ACC to the surprise of some, to the excitement of some. Some people are even angry that you even said it at Virginia, on the Virginia Tech side because you don't want the media on our side. But I want to know when you look at this team, aside from what you saw last year and the results and the chemistry building, when you look at this roster, what leads you to believe that winning the ACC is a real possibility for Virginia Tech? Well, first thing I'll start with is the coach. You know, I, I think before you get into your roster build out and, and kind of how the pieces all fit, I really like Mike Young as a basketball coach. I think he gives his players so much confidence and they're so multidimensional. You know, you, you sometimes you see like the Carolina bigs, they, they don't necessarily, you know, pass, shoot and dribble. Sometimes they're just go get a rebound, go be a beast, go block shots. Um, the bigs at Virginia Tech can really play the game and they're, they're thinkers and they can pass, they can shoot, they can play defense. 
Um, so I, I think Mike Young has just done a great job of kind of building his foundation each year since he's been at Virginia Tech, starting with, you know, the Landers Nolly crew that had some big wins. You know, I remember the Michigan State win. I remember him having some huge games. You think year two, wow, he's going to lose Landers Nolly, who put up these crazy numbers, and they're going to get that much better. And then now coming into this year, you've got five really, really good players and this is the knock, or this is this is what could really be the Achilles heel for this team, is their depth, and it's especially in the backcourt. But they don't quite have um, depth that makes you feel good. You know, you really have to worry about injuries. You have to worry about you know, foul trouble. Mike Young's going to have to do a great job of keeping those five guys on the floor to play the mass majority of minutes. But you got one, two of the best front court players in the league. And Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma, you bring in this veteran that's been around coach forever in Storm Murphy. I think Hunter Couture is tough as nails. I think he's probably the most underrated player in the league. You know, he's, he's a guy, you look at him and you think, man, he's probably just going to go out there and, and just knock down some shots. Guy can play above the rim. He's tough on the defensive end. He can shoot it. He makes smart plays. And then the guy I'm most excited about probably to make the big jump had 36 in the NCAA tournament. Naheem Aline is a beast. And I, if, I'm, if I'm Mike Young, all I'm doing is just infusing this guy with confidence because once he gets rolling, man, he can really get it done. And now that you have three guards that, that seem to be able to really play off each other well, pass, knock down shots, you've got the, the two bigs that are such a good tandem. I just love the mix of players. Um, Kevin Aluma was my pick for player of the year last year. Not that Moses Wright wasn't deserving, but – um, I think this is an uber talented roster. And, and then the last point of why I'm so high on the Hokies, I was a college basketball player. They had to kick out the door. I was getting too old. You know, when you, when you're 35, still trying to play, they, they move you out the door, but this team is old, you know, they, they, they a bunch of red shirt seniors and juniors and old vets that, that have a lot of battle scars. And so I think you need that to win, especially if you're not going to recruit the, the top five player in the country, you need veterans that really know the game and know what your coach wants from you. It's going to be a lot of fun watching these guys play in Castle Coliseum here this season. Uh, but there's also going to be a lot of fun games that are outside of Castle, on the road or at neutral sites. And some of those games, we got St. Bonaventure in Charlotte. We got at Maryland, at uh, Navy in Annapolis in a few weeks, and then Memphis up at the Barclays Center. Um, Luke, if you're Mike Young, which of these games are you really circling on your list as uh, some of the biggest matchups and key games in the out-of-conference slate? Oof, uh, great question, man. I, I, if it's me, I'm, I'm circling that Memphis game. Um, again, I just mentioned the kind of stylistic and, and just recruiting differences from a coach like Mike Young to a coach like Penny Hardaway. You know, they they go get Imani Bates and they go get Jalen Duran and, and you've got, you know, whatever numbers you want to say, the number one, number two, number three, number four, whatever number those guys were, you've got major big time top five recruits down there, tons of talent, length, athleticism, but they've got a lot of youth. And if I'm Mike Young, I say, hey, these guys may have a bunch of stars behind their names, but I would go in there with a the chip on my shoulder saying you guys want to be taken seriously. And, and want to be put up on that pedestal you should be on, this is the game you go out and dominate. Kevin Aluma, you want to be a, a draft pick? You want to go play in the NBA? Well, Jalen right there is going to be a top five pick in the NBA. Go out there and show them why you can play in the NBA, why you're going to dominate this game. 
Um, and I think when you have those those big high level recruits like that, that's incredibly motivating as a as a player and as someone who's been in college for a long time. There aren't very many times where you're going to look at a guy who's a redshirt senior who's been in a system and say, "I'll take that freshman over that proven senior." It's just very very rare, and so there's going to be hype around that game. Uh, Memphis has a ton of talent. If uh, if I'm Mike Young, I'll fire the guys up and, and go out there and show what the vets can do. Look, I, just an offhand question here. I'm I'm curious. What, how, when did you first become familiar with Coach Young? Uh, did you meet him during recruiting, uh, through covering the ACC? What is kind of your familiarity with Coach Young, his coaching style, and his personality? Definitely from the Wofford days. Um, you got such a good intro into his teams over the years just because they've had, you know, maybe not like super high level success up here the whole time, but they would have those runs. We, you know, the, the Fletcher McGee's go and get hot. And the world knows about Wofford again. And, um, and stylistically, um, he can really play uh, or really coach, excuse me, um, guys that can do it all again. That's why I really like the, the front quarter guys in, in particular, because they're so multidimensional. Um, and, and you're just known for he's known for great basketball teams that that uh, high IQ that play really, really hard and can upset some teams. And, and through the years, you get your introduction to Mike Young because He's won a lot of games, and um, I like his style a lot. I feel like I would have fit in um, playing for a guy like that. And then a question for you, and I'm going to preface this by saying, I'm actually going to preface your answer by saying, I want you to tell people why this doesn't matter, because it doesn't matter, and everybody's been freaking out about it. But there is only one team in the ACC ranked in the top 15. I thought that was definitely questionable, but the one that – is questionable but doesn't matter in the preseason is Virginia Tech has left out of the top 25. So I'm curious about what your thoughts are about top 25 rankings and why those two are that way. Why is there one ACC team in the top 15 and how is Virginia Tech left out of the top 25 with all the preseason hype? Yeah, you know, um, I think the teams at the top, um, I'll just be honest with you, actually. This is Leonard Hamilton might love this answer. You know, the the Blue Bloods of the ACC haven't been as good lately. You know, Carolina was just okay last year. They had a, a really rough season the year before that. Duke has one of their worst seasons and and maybe ever under Coach K. Um, those Blue Bloods at the top just aren't quite as good. If you want to throw Virginia in there, they, they've had such success in the ACC over the last decade plus. You know, they're not quite, hey, let's go win a national championship, you know, jump off the page talent. Um, they're going to be good, but they're not what they've been in the past. And I think that's why you don't get quite as much top 15 love. Um, and it, it's kind of disrespectful to guys like Leonard Hamilton who put together such a good year last year. And then through the transfer portal, man, he's really reloaded. If they're, if their bigs can get it together, Florida state's going to be that good again. It should be in the top 15. Um, but I think it's just the, the, traditional names aren't quite as good. And then it's, you know, the new bloods, they don't get enough love uh, across the country. And Larry Hamilton's probably fine with that. Uh, but he's certainly just been putting all the, the building blocks in place to just, it's been incredible, just getting better and better and better until they go make a final four run. I think it's just a matter of time. Um, and he doesn't age, so he could probably coach for the next 40 years. But in terms of Virginia Tech, it blows my mind, man, because I, I look at their starting five and I think about the pieces just gelling so well together. Again, having the battle scars 
And then look at the improvement from Mike Young from year one to year two. And then what do you expect for this year? And you've just seen, I would pick bottom of the league, I think, maybe the last team in the league his first year. And they end up middle of the pack. And then last year, I was pretty high on them. They make a big jump, fizzled a little bit at the end of the year again. But those are motivating things. Again, going through my my red shirt year and just getting beat in the tournament, but going is just the most motivating thing. So I know they're going to think back to that Florida game, Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma, going to be watching a lot of film on that, getting fired up. Uh, but bottom line, I mean, Virginia Tech's going to be fine not having these major expectations. They'll be fine flying under the radar. I, to your point, Mike Young might, might get a little upset with me picking them to win the league because he wants to uh, sneak up on some people. But you're going to know very quickly Virginia Tech is the real deal. Yeah, another thing that now that you bring it up, kind of fizzling out at the end of the year, some of the COVID issues with availability for our guys really hurt our seeding, both in the ACC and in the NCAA tournament towards the back half of that year. Um, but no doubt about it, gave guys an opportunity to play maybe earlier than they expected and get some reps. Um, but one of the other questions about surrounding this team that I want to ask you about is the departure of Tyrese Radford. Tyrese Radford, he averaged 12 and five last year on 55% shooting. More importantly though, he was a complete bulldog. The guy could play literally anywhere. He could guard basically anyone. um, And he could really just kind of plug and play him depending on who's in foul trouble or who just doesn't have it that night. How do you adjust when you lose a player like that? Or what will be the biggest challenge for the Hokies to try to fill in that gap as he departs? Man, that's a good question. Um, you know, I was I was in love with Boots Radford last year. I just liked his toughness, his mentality, um, but not afraid to, to take the big shot, could get to the rim and finish you in the basket, could, could you know, he was a guy who said when, when adversity strikes, like, settle it down, I'm going to make us a big play. And I think he is a huge loss for Virginia Tech. Um, there would have been no doubt in my mind, and I don't think I would have surprised people if he comes back picking them to win the league, but you take him out and you take Wabisa Beatty out and it's time for Hunter Couture to step up. It's time for Storm Murphy to step up. And I I just, I don't have a lot of worries with this team and the offensive end. I think they're going to score a ton of points. They can really shoot it. They can pass. They can set their teammates up. They're unselfish. They can score on the low block. You know, they're, they're just, there aren't a ton of weaknesses on the offensive end. It's, are you going to be tough enough? And, and Tyrese Radford was one of those guys that you knew would be tough enough on the defensive end and in particular in the backcourt because they are going to be really thin. Um, now, they, they've got some recruits that have come in. Um, you know, I know they got a four-star, Sean, that, that people are excited about. But, again, you have vets, redshirt seniors and redshirt juniors, Um those guys are going to have to carry the load. And when you lose a guy like Tyrese Radford, that's just so impactful, other guys got to step up. I mean, I, I don't have any doubts that Hunter Couture is going to say, hey, this is a great opportunity. Um, time for me to step up and show that I can be more consistent. You know, when you lose Jalen Cohn and you lose Tyrese Radford, you know, you got to definitely raise your eyebrow. But Mike Young's a great coach and he's got good players. The transfer market helps with Storm Murphy. But uh, now you got some guys that need to step up. So uh, we're going to ask you a couple more questions about tech and then we'll uh, go more broad with the ACC in general before rapid fire at the end. Um, So being a basketball guy, you know, from Virginia, 
and even playing college basketball up in Northern Virginia. What are your thoughts on Mike Jones being brought into Virginia Tech uh, onto the staff earlier this summer and the impact that he can make for Tech uh, basketball? You know, I, um, I I just I think that his connections, like on the recruiting trail, are going to be so key. I think that it it's going to give Mike Young the opportunity to recruit a different level of player. You know, he's going to have so many connections, especially kind of up where I played, to bring in big time players. Um, I know they have a great connection. Um, the development of that backcourt is going to be key. And I think anytime you have a, a relationship that is as close as theirs, Mike and Mike's, um, that you're, you're comfortable when you're not around, if that makes sense. Like, you know, there are a lot of programs where, uh, you know, the head coach takes a week off or even Louisville's case, right? Like Chris Mack is going to be gone for a month. And the first six games, Mike Pegues has got to be the head coach. Chris Mack doesn't have any worries that Mike Pegues is going to be able to get it done. Like Mike Young's not in that situation, but with, with Mike Jones um, being the associate head coach and that, that comfortability that they have with each other, I think it's so key on the recruiting trail. And then it's somebody you trust so much when you're trying to make in-game adjustments and you're trying to figure out in the, at halftime, you know, how are we going to change whatever's ailing us in that first half, having that consistency and that confidence that you can go bounce ideas off somebody who knows what's going on. It's just so key. Um, I think their camaraderie is huge. So I don't know if you know about this this tidbit about Louisville, but Louisville is essentially the father of Virginia Tech basketball. And the reason for that is Virginia Tech has lost 14 games in a row to Louisville. The overall series is 33 to 8. We have not beaten Louisville since 1991. So this year, I'm curious, A, are you going to a Tech game at Castle? B, you should come because we play them on senior day on March 1st. Chances are Louisville might handle business, but we're looking to flip the script. So is this the year they flip the script? And when are you coming to Blacksburg? All great questions, man. I got to get to Blacksburg. Uh, I've I've told Evan a bunch of times and and Mike Young's giving me the invite. So I would love to go check it out. Actually, I was talking to Coach Greenberg a few days ago who got to go see practice and I was getting – some validations on some of my predictions that that Virginia Tech is just going to have a great year. But I really want to go to a game, and then I want to go see the nuts and bolts, man. I want to get into practice and just, you know, get them – feel the mentality. Feel like, is this team really ready to make a run? Because I think you can see so much um, when you really – like how they prep and how focused they are and what practice is like. And those things are just so important. But in terms of getting to Castle, I am 100% going to try and make a game this year. Um, I've loved going to Blacksburg since I was little. And, um, you know, Lane Stadium crowds and energy, you know, when Inner Sandman goes off the best entrance in college football, if that energy is any indication of what Virginia Tech fans are going to bring to the Castle – Oh my goodness. They are just going to be so excited that this team makes a run. And, and I think they're going to get their notoriety very quickly because I think this is a great basketball team. And when you're winning in, in Blacksburg and the fans are with you, man, there's, there's nothing like it. That place is going to be rocking. So I, I hope I can make it in terms of, of the Louisville Virginia tech matchup. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be an absolute beast of a battle. 
you know, they're, they're two real kind of different teams, different coaches, different philosophies. But, um, you know, I told you Virginia takes my pick to win the league. They're so uh, multi-dimensional. They can shoot, they can pass, they can get on up, out on the fast break. Their half court offense is probably what I'm most excited about. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of pros to both sides. I think Louisville might be a little better with the run and gun game with this roster, but I'm not picking anybody in the league against Virginia tech and Mike young in the half court on the defensive side. I probably do give it a little bit to Louisville, but um, I, I, I can't call it right now. We'll have to see how these teams play out because I think Louisville's going to overachieve in terms of their expectations relative to where they've been picked in the league. And I certainly think Virginia Tech will do that. Uh, so everybody needs to stay healthy first off because uh, Louisville goes through some injuries like they have in the past and Virginia Tech will put it on them this year. Speaking of overachieving or underachieving, uh, we're going to talk ACC now and we're going to talk about the Duke Blue Devils. Because we all saw Duke, they struggled a little bit last year. Uh, but this year, they have a 6'10 freshman forward coming in, Paolo Banchero. And uh, many are projecting him as the number one pick in the 2022 draft. They're saying he's NBA ready. Clean sweep on ACC Media Days for Newcomer of the Year and Preseason Player of the Year. Um, and this is the Coach K retirement tour. So expectations are definitely going to be high for Duke this year. but. Coming off last year does seem like a lot of pressure for both Coach K and for the players. Where should ACC fans set their expectations with this Coach K retirement tour and Duke this year? I'll, I'll just add this. Look, I just I Googled the guy because I'm like, oh, he's got to be skinny. This kid's 18 years old, 6'10 and 250. This guy certainly certainly does look the part, Paolo. <laughs> I've uh, I watched a little bit of their um, their scrimmages early, and then I've watched some of their exhibitions. and and the guy is just working with a different set of tools, man. It's like, you know, I've always said this guys like Steph Curry are so good for the game of basketball because any player goes out in their backyard and they, they shoot jump shots like Steph Curry, you know, and, and you can be that athletic and he's not, you know, just crazy strong. He's not crazy tall. You can't go out there and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to play like LeBron James. I'm going to take off from the free throw line and dunk it. And, and Paolo's that guy. I mean, he's just working with such a different set of tools in, in terms of length, athleticism, strength. He is just a different animal. This is, this is the most athletic group since Zion and RJ Barrett uh, and that crew. And, and man, they are impressive to watch when they have it rolling. You know, the, you, you asked the question in a funny way, where should uh, ACC fans or Duke fans kind of put them in terms of expectations? Well, they're going to put them at the top. I mean, this is Duke basketball and this is Coach K. They've been picked to win the league six times in the last 10 years. Six times in the last 10 years. You guys know how many times they've won the league? Uh, they have not won the league since 2010. They've won the league so times. In 2010, they shared the regular season crown and they won it outright. The last time was 2006. Thank you, Joe Lenardi. It was doing some research beforehand. Very good. <laughs> network is a big Carolina basketball guy. So he's always ready with the stats. Um, and especially when he can put a little slide in there for Duke. Uh, so he, he helped me out with that, but he, he talks about it all the time. Like this is the time of year where everybody gets so fired up about Duke basketball, picks them to win, picks them to have player of the year. And then we got to go settle our expectations. Let's not forget. This is the ACC. There are great recruits everywhere. There are great coaches everywhere. And, um, 
you know, I, I think you mentioned something that's really important though. The pressure, the pressure of this last run for coach K it is going to be um, pretty wild to watch. It's going to be great for college basketball and what coach K has meant to college basketball, but the parades that are going to happen, the ceremonies, the, the love that he's going to get everywhere he goes, starting in about four days when they go play Kentucky, it's just going to add so much to this season, to these young players that have to go out there and figure it out and play well. And to me, I think expectations are way too high for Duke basketball. I mean, I look at the makeup of the roster last year. I look at what they lost um, with Stewart and Hurt and Johnson. And I think, man, they lose a ton. And then they weren't great. They weren't great shooters. They didn't, they weren't able to space the floor. They weren't great on the defensive end. Like it was a, a pretty rough basketball season. You bring in Van Caro and you bring in a, a couple of other guys that I think add something, but is this team taking a huge jump forward, bringing back Jeremy Roach and Wendell Moore and, and, you know, Mark Williams is who I'm the most high on with this team. I don't see a huge jump forward. I see them being better. Coach K is not going to let them go through that again, especially not in his last year, but Van Caro is a special talent. I think he's going to have so much on his shoulders. And I think the pressure of game in and game out, what they're going to go through with this being coach K's last run it's kind of scary for me in terms of these young guys that have to get out there and just hold that weight because the world is going to be watching them from game one in four days when they go play Kentucky, it is going to be a pressure cooker. And so it could be really good for them. They could take off or it could be like last year and it could be a snowball effect where uh, we start missing shots. Oh, we get, we get blown out to Kentucky. Both these teams, you know, are, are going to be looking for a huge bounce back. Their fan base is needed everything that will be tied into this game. And, you know, it's, 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 again, could go both ways, but I think that pressure and, and young people and the fact that social media puts every thought that anyone's ever had right in their face, right. All the couch coaches. Um, I think it could be a really tough thing for Duke to have to overcome this year. Last couple quick hitters that we have uh, for the ACC in general. Do you have three games that you're most excited about? It could be in the ACC, it could be at a conference games or completely not involving the ACC. What are three games you're really excited about? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna cheat a little bit here, um, and I'm going to choose some games that we've talked about. You know, we, we talked about Virginia Tech and Memphis, and I just love the, the differences there, the parity, the fact that You've got this young, flashy guy in Penny Hardaway that's brought in these big-time recruits that can fly, that are highly rated. You've got Mike Young, who's going to have a bunch of old basketball players out there on that court, a bunch of redshirt seniors. He's the guy who walks out there just eating his popcorn, hanging out, and, and just the dynamics there. I'm really excited to see. Um, I, I, I can't wait to watch that basketball game. Uh, the easiest one is Kentucky Duke early on. Um, I am um, expecting to see Ben Carroll put on a show, but there are some athletes that can hang at Kentucky. Ty Ty Washington is the real deal. You know, uh, they bring in Big O from West Virginia, and it's going to be so physical and able to battle with Mark Williams. Um, does Wendell Moore step up? You know, I, I think there's a few teams in this league that have Wendell Moore guys. You know, Wendell Moore and Leaky Black and Sam Williamson 
are all kind of the same guys to me. They've all averaged around the same stats. And for those particular teams, they're all looking at, hey, this is our veteran. This is our guy. We need him to be consistently a great ACC basketball player. So which one of those guys is going to make that that big jump? Um, I don't know if Wendell Moore is going to do it. I don't know if Jeremy Roach is going to do it. But I'll tell you this. If they don't have anybody that can knock down some shots, they're going to struggle. And I guarantee you Kentucky's going to be on Trevor Keels like white on rice, man. They're going to be all over that guy. Um, trying to trying to limit his production. Um, I'm a little worried with Duke's inability to knock down shots. But um, last one, uh, I'll give you. I think Florida State and um, and Syracuse that first home game to set the record for ACC home wins. It's just uh, it would be a great little validation for Coach Hamilton to to win that, have that home court advantage, and just. I always want him to to get another stat, to get another accolade because he's such a good guy. Um, and his team never gets enough respect. That first game they have will just be outside of some of these Duke matchups because it's Coach K will be so incredible. It'll be so intense down there in Tallahassee to go set the record for um, home ACC wins in a row. Uh, that first one with Florida State and Syracuse, I'd be excited to see. And then the really easy one, Packer and Durham talked about it at ACC Media Days. Um, the last home game for Duke being Carolina, I heard. Uh, Coach K sold two tickets, two courtside seats for a million bucks to that game. So Duke, Carolina, I'll give you a fourth. Um, that'll be on the list for sure. So this next one, sleeper pick, I'm going to eliminate Tech. Can't pick Tech for the ACC and a sleeper pick for the broader NCAA. And tell me why my sleep. I've been saying it all offseason. People need to start taking Alabama basketball seriously. They're recruiting at an elite level. They have a really good coach. So my sleeper pick is Alabama. Curious to think what yours is for the ACC and for basketball in general. Man, well, I, I know they have uh, the Davidson recruit um, who's he's just taking the, I guess, uh, YouTube, Instagram world by storm with how athletic that guy is. But I got to watch Alabama last year um, play Iona in the NCAA tournament. And uh, Herb Jones and company were just tough as nails. I think that coach is all about toughness on the offensive end. He gives them some flexibility, but he has some gamers with the talent that he's brought in. Um, I, I love that pick, man. I love that pick. I think he's just final four bound um, at some point. For me and the ACC, sleeper. Uh, hopefully this qualifies. You might, you might not give me this one, but I'm going to take Syracuse. You know, I think they're they're finished or picked to finish maybe seventh, eighth in the league. Um, first of all, if you've never played against the Syracuse zone, it is just different. And you, first of all, you spend 85 percent of your time practicing for man to man defenses because that's what you see that much of the time. Right. Syracuse is the only one who exclusively sits back in that zone in the ACC. And so you're just not as ready for it. And I love that they can be a little inefficient on the defensive side. Like, I don't look at Buddy Bayheim and think, man, this guy's just a lockdown guy. I don't look at Joe Girard and think, man, he's, you're not getting past this dude. But in a system, and one that they've ran for a few years, and Buddy Bayheim's seen his entire life, then you bring in Jimmy, then you have Benny Williams come in, then you have Cole Swider who can absolutely shoot it. And I'm starting to look at the pieces to this puzzle and think, man, these guys have a lot of firepower on the defensive end. You feel a little bit better because of their scheme. 
Um, if they can hold it down at the five spot with Jesse Edwards, who got better throughout the year, and I thought their best basketball was when he was on the floor. If he can hold it down at the five, they've brought in a lot of pieces, man, that I feel really good about. And so um, in terms of passing and shooting, there's probably nobody better. You could, you could argue Notre Dame maybe, um, but their defensive scheme puts them ahead. And you see them make runs in the NCAA tournament because their style is just so different and they can shoot the lights out. So I'm going to go Syracuse. Um, you know, I, I got to imagine that uh, between the three Bayheims that will be out there, that they, they're going to be on the same page. They're, they're probably been writing down plays on, on napkins at dinner for the last 20 years plus. Last one about the ACC. Who's on fraud alert? Who is somebody that <laughs> you don't get the hype, you don't understand it? Who is on fraud Hmm. Fraud alert, man, you're putting me on the spot here. And I mean, I know once this gets out, I'm going to have either coaches or fans just blowing me up on social media here. You know, I'm just going to say this is relative of expectation. Okay. So fraud can mean if you're picked to, to be number one in the country and run away with the ACC and have all these high draft picks and you finish third, you're not necessarily a fraud, but you get what I'm saying. And you make it relative. I just I'm not as excited about Duke basketball as everybody else is. Um, you know, I, I look at the makeup of, of the roster they had last year. I see the pieces that they bring in, um, and I just I don't see the mega jump. I see them being better. You know, I think in particular, Mark Williams is going to hold it down in the paint, maybe better than anybody in the ACC in terms of just defense and shot blocking. Um, but I don't necessarily think that you take out your only great shooter in Matthew Hurt, your best playmaker in DJ Stewart, and you add, you know, Jeremy Roach now has to step up and Wendell Moore now has a bigger role and Ben Caro is a can knock down shots, but he's not an elite shooter like Matthew Hurt was to open things up. Mark Williams gets a little bit better. All right, all those things like are great, but I don't see the mega mega jump, you know. And and I think everybody is so focused on this being Coach Case last year and the pressure, and these guys are going to play their hearts out for him. And I think that's true, but it's they're not going to just run away with it. It's not going to be without adversity. They can be there at the at the finish because they're going to out athlete and out talent so many teams. But you know, I, I look around at, at a team like Virginia Tech and I see how how old they are, how many battle scars, how fired up they're going to be to make a run. And then I look at Duke with a lot of young guys that are going to come in there and expect it to just be smooth sailing to a national championship. And it's how they handle that adversity in the ultimate pressure cooker that this season will be that that's going to tell the tale. So I, I, relative to expectations, I'm not sold that Duke's going to run away with this thing. So Luke, we did some uh, we did some factor fiction with Eric McLean a couple months ago before football season began, and uh, we'll keep it going here. We'll keep that train going for basketball. So factor fiction. We'll start off with this one. Virginia Tech is the toughest place to play in the ACC. These are all basketball, right? These are all basketball. Um. I got to go fiction there. I got to go fiction. There's, there's some places I'm, I'm, I'm elaborating on all these, right? Yeah. Feel sure. free to, you know, say whatever you want about every, uh, every question here, man. I think 
I think Florida State is now in that conversation. We got to put Cameron Indoor in there as much as you Virginia Tech guys will hate that. Um, and then, you know, your cross-town rival, cross-state cross, cross state rival. I think Virginia and JPJ is a really tough place to play. Uh, but I, I can't give Virginia Tech the nod there. I love Castle, though. Not yet. Not yet. Um, <laughs> all right. This one, fact or fiction. This one's more of an opinion question. Fact or fiction, Virginia plays a boring brand of basketball. <sighs> You know, I, I'm, I'm going to say fiction. Uh, I'm partial to winning. And I, I would, if the game was 20 to 15 and we won enough, I'd be all right with that. And uh, I've, I'm just, I've got such respect for Tony Bennett. Um, I, I think it's really interesting to look at kind of his rosters throughout the years and how he's like molded to each one. You look at last year and they're this abysmal like 31st or 33rd, you know, in defensive efficiency across the country, which for him is just so bad, but they could shoot it and they could play a little bit more on the offensive end. And then this year, if they didn't bring in these two transfers, I would be that idiot that would say, you know, Virginia's going to finish last in the league. But you can't do that with Tony Bennett. He's been so good since he's been there. Um, These two transfers will help huge but they're going to have to be so much more defensive focused like they've been in the past. So I think he's one of the best coaches in the entire country. Um, you know, it's first to 50 with Tony Bennett. So I see why the question's there, but I, it's fun to win, you know, making that national championship run uh, was as exciting of run as I've, I've seen in college basketball. I've said it before. It's a impossible to hate Tony Bennett. He is the most unhateable person ever. From and- a Virginia Tech guy. Wow. I, I mean, I agree with, and even and even in that tournament, I wasn't rooting for them to win, but they were such a fun team to watch. They really, really were. That was an awesome, awesome year of college basketball. The moment and the things that had to happen, Texas Tech and Purdue, all every game they played, missing the free throw, and it bounces, Mamadi tips it all the way to the other free throw line, and he throws that bullet pass, looking off a couple. I mean, the uh, the series that the ACC Network did, it was it was so good, man. It was so good. Um, Virginia Tech, best offensive team in the ACC, or will score over 80 points per game, fact or fiction? Uh, I'll just go with the first part of that, and I'll say fact. Okay. Uh, now, there are some other teams, if you're just strictly focused on the offensive end, that I think will be there, like Notre Dame, for example. Notre Dame is going to start four guys that come back from last year that average double figures. Oh, by the way, they did that the season before. And then they're going to add a guy like Paul Atkinson, who was Ivy League player of the year, who set out all last year, right, because of COVID, because they weren't going to have a season. I used my redshirt year to work on my body, to work on the inefficiencies in my game. I felt like a, a different player coming back. If Paul Atkinson has done that, watch out, especially on the offensive end. I mean, Notre Dame couldn't guard. They couldn't guard you in a phone booth last year. It was abysmal. There were like 220 teams that were better than them on the defensive end but they could fill it up. So well, more well-rounded. I definitely like Virginia Tech, but I think those two in Syracuse are all right there in terms of best. Um, I'll say the versatility that um, that Virginia Tech has, man, it's close with Notre Dame, but I'll, I'll give Virginia Tech the nod. I'll say best best offensive team in the ACC. Two, the two big tandem, man. They're going to be really good, Mutz and Aluma. Is Virginia Tech a Final Four contender? Yeah, I think um, I think what could knock Virginia Tech is just the depth. 
Um, if, if they can make a run and Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma are committed to, we're not going to let anybody dominate us the way Carolina and Florida did at the end of the season last year. Again, if I'm Mike Young, as painful as it is, I make those guys watch a lot of those games and clips, um, just how, how they weren't effective. You know, I, I would, I would have them motivated by those last two games. Um, but I think so. Again, when you can pass and shoot and dribble the way they can and you have a great understanding of the game and you you have a great floor general in Storm Murphy, you're tough enough. Those are all things that get you ready for a Final Four run. And um, depth is the one thing I'm worried about. If they get – they're so thin that if they get one injury at a key spot, Virginia Tech basketball is going to go from great to just okay. Uh, but if they stay healthy, develop that bench a little bit, I could see it. Absolutely. And this question, this is a loaded question because people like to say this in a backhanded way as a, uh, the football team is not good. So now we're a basketball school. That's not how I'm asking you this. <laughs> I'm asking you is Virginia tech, a basketball school. Whereas when you hear of Virginia tech, they got a good, they got a good basketball program. Have we reached, have we reached that part where, where in the broad scheme of things, Virginia Tech has become a basketball school with a respectable basketball program? Or you need to see more. Maybe you need to see more. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I got to see a little more. Um, I think I got to see a little more to switch the, uh, switch the tables there. And that's Frank Beamer's fault. That's Bud Foster's fault. Uh, those guys, uh, they were just so good for so long. Um, you know, again, I, I grew up going to football and basketball games and some of the, the best times were going to some of those like Michael Vick games or Tyrod Taylor or Logan Thomas, like those, those were just incredible. Um, Eddie Royal, who's now with the ACC network. So as much as I, uh, I think Virginia Tech basketball has had some great moments, they've had some big wins. They need to win an ACC tournament and then go on a run. And right now would be very timely because I know uh, Virginia Tech fans aren't in love with how football is done uh, th through this year. So I, I can't give it to him just yet, but he, Mike Young's building something special. Again, just look at what he did the first year and where expectations were to what we're talking about right now. You know, I don't think that trajectory can stay there or, uh, or he wins it this year, wins it all. So, uh, but it's, it's been awesome to watch. So we're moving into rapid fire here. Um, rapid fire, one of my favorite segments. But first one, what is the biggest clutch slash memorial, memorable shot that Luke Hancock has hit in his career? Ooh. Um, just individual shot. Um, you know, we played – when I was at George Mason, we played Villanova in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, when the eight, nine game, we were the small school, they were the big school. And so we were, we were considered the underdogs. We were actually a higher seed than they were uh, our lower seed. And uh, I hit a shot late in that game uh, that put us up for good. Um, and it was just such a, a, an incredible moment. And, and I talked about those motivating moments when you have one of those in the NCAA tournament um, came down and hit a three against, against Villanova and Jay Wright. And um Man, it was uh, that one there just always going to stick with me. And we had great moments at Louisville, lots of NCAA tournament moments. Um, and I had hit some shots in some of those games, national championship game. But that one at George Mason with, you know, just such a fun group of guys, uh, it's going to stick with me against Villanova. 
Luke Hancock listened to what before basketball games? Uh, I uh, I remember actually that before the, the NCAA tournament that year, all of the lights was like the big song, but uh, <laughs> outside of, I try and smooth it up a little bit. I don't necessarily get, you know, big time rap music was usually played throughout the locker room, but I was more of like, uh, I'm going to go over here and try and focus in a little bit, something a little smoother. Um, you know, I wasn't, let's get loud or hard rock or anything like that. It was, it was, uh, you know, time to get focused music for sure. Toughest place that you played in your career. SMU SMU with Larry Brown. Yeah. Most people, uh, kind of shocked when I say that I've played in some, some pretty cool arenas, some tough environments, but SMU had not lost a home game all year. And, um, we went in on their senior night. Uh, they were ranked. I can't remember what it was, but but they were up there, and and we were ranked really high at that point in the AAC. And um, <laughs> the funny story, they they were all dressed up in uh, Halloween costumes in the front and second row of the student section. They were there hours before the game started. I mean, just heckling us, going crazy, packed environment. And uh, Russ Smith is like coming out of timeouts, throwing up in the trash can and going back out there and banging threes from the logo. It was just such a crazy game. Um, went over and, and shook uh, President Bush's hand before the game started. Told him it's just an honor to have him there. You know, Cowboys players are there. It was packed. It was wild. Um, and it was a ton of fun. And, and I love the way the game ended. Um, SMU fans probably still hate me for this, but I'm trying to dribble out the clock. I'm at half court. And we're up maybe like 12 points or something. And I'm just, you know, you can see the game's over. I'm going to dribble it out. We're, we're not going to stop playing. Well, they, they tip the ball away from me and go down and try and score a layup. I go down and play defense and he misses it off the backboard. And so I get the ball back. There's like five seconds left and I go coast to coast. And I was p- pissed off a little bit because, you know, I'm trying to end the game and you guys are stealing it from us. All right, let's play till the end. And I throw a pass to Montrez Harrell. And he dunks it so hard, it hits the ground and shoots off into the student section as the buzzer goes off. And I just, we lost it on the court. They had been killing us the whole game, fans grilling us. And so in that environment of just absolute craziness to finish the game like that, never forget it. The more hokey history, Montrez Harrell committed to Virginia Tech. Seth Greenberg, Boltstown, ends up at Louisville. And the number one, is he, I believe he's still the number one dunker in NCAA history. I think he still holds the uh, still holds the record for most dunks in NCAA history. Well, he's got Louisville's by a mile. And, and, you know, Dr. Duncan Stein and the doctors of dunk, you know, that you don't get that mantra without dunking the basketball a lot. So he's, he's, he's blown some some high jumpers out of the water with his numbers. Funniest teammate. Funniest ever. Um, I'm going to say Vertrell Vons was at George Mason. And I thought he was the funniest guy of all time. He was hilarious. Um, He was smooth, man. He could dance. He would joke with you. He was just such a good guy. And we gave him a lot of junk and he gave it right back. And Vertrell Vons is you got to know him. Uh, he, he transferred back to Texas, but he uh, is such a good guy. He's definitely the funniest guy uh, I've been around. And if you could have dinner with anyone in human history, who are you having? Oh, man, what a question. Um, anyone in human history. I feel like I need to go somebody that's uh, impactful and not a sports person, but 
It's your dinner. You don't got. You don't have to be prophetic here. You can have dinner with whoever you want. You know, I um, man, that's such a tough one to put me on the spot with. Um, I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose somebody that I think is just a pillar of basketball that I just really would like to spend time with because of the stories I've heard and um, the type of person. You know, I, I think going back and learning from John Wooden and just being able to talk to him and sit down with him and uh, that'd be a guy where I think I would just be wide eyed and want to be taking notes the whole time. Just just seem to have a great grasp on the importance of basketball and life and everything in between. And I got to spend some time with Bill Walton and, and just going through some of his stories and the impact um, John Wooden's had on so many people. I'll, I'll go him. That's a basketball answer, but I'll go with John Wooden. I can't imagine having dinner with Bill Walton. He would be, uh, I'm a Bill, I'm a Bill Walton truther. I too, I tune in on purpose when Bill Walton is on the call. I'll give you one quick story. I know we're doing the rapid fire ones. Bill Walton comes <laughs> to Louisville. He's doing something for a, uh, spine rehab place in town. We go to this restaurant. There's probably 30 people and we're at this massive table and Bill Walton was there. We were all there maybe 30 minutes before we actually sat down and Bill Walton's just mingling. He's talking to different people and introducing himself. So, he maybe had maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes to talk to the crew, the, the people that were there. And then he walks in, we sit down. He kind of dings his glass and he says, I'd like to do some introductions. And he goes, every person, all 30, introduces their first and last names and says something about each person. And you think about how many people Bill Walton meets. And he just spent that 20 minutes going and getting some mental notes on each person, did an introduction told you something interesting about him, gets to himself. He says, I'm Bill, two L's. And then he keeps going around. And I was just so blown away that he did that and how just smooth he made it. It was, it was really impressive for how crazy he is. It was really impressive. <laughs> that dude is, that dude is a legend. Every, yeah. every, every bit of the word, that guy is a legend. Yeah. Um, one word to describe the Hokies this year. Uh I'm going to say tough. I'm going to say tough because they better be tough because they're, they're just such a thin team. They don't, they lack depth, uh, but also toughness because I think that's what Mike Young has, has brought to the team. You know, I, I look at guys like Hunter Couture and I think, man, is this guy necessarily like this big time ACC player? Well, not without his toughness. And, you know, Justin Mutz, like he adds a different dimension. Keve Aluma is just going to, those guys will beat you up inside. And I think they got to be tough um, in order to win the big, big games. Like I talked about UNC and, and Florida at the end of the year, but also like, you know, you having Boots Radford and Hunter Couture and Naheem Aline last year, those guys were fun to watch. Um, and I think even with the, the takeaway of, of Tyrese Radford, that they're going to be a tough, tough out this year. I had uh, I had just go with it on the other day. So the next question is favorite Adam Sandler movie. Ooh, I gotta go. Happy Gilmore. There's so many um, that I could uh, I could go through there, man. Um, I, Happy Gilmore is the one on TV where you know whether I'm picking it up halfway through or it's towards the end of the movie. Like if Happy Gilmore is on, I'm probably gonna flip it on. I'm probably gonna end up watching that movie. Um, I just uh, ordered. 
right before Halloween. Didn't get to go out or anything because with the, with the little one, but a Happy Gilmore hockey jersey. So at some point, that will be a Halloween costume. But so many to choose from. I'll go Happy Gilmore. Fantastic. And then uh, last rapid fire: MJ, LeBron, or Kobe? Who's your guy? Uh, it's for me. It's easy, man. I'm, I'm uh, younger guys might might uh, be jaded a little bit, but it's MJ all day. Um, you know, there, there was nobody as dominant as he was through those few years, winning three and then taking some time off and coming back and winning three more. Love his mindset. You know, I'm going to go out there and dominate and do whatever it takes. And, you know, I'm, I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan, but I, I had the mindset of, you know, whatever we got to do to win. And he took it to an absolute extreme, but I always appreciated that, you know, and, and those guys that are ultra competitive sometimes get a bad uh, rap for being like that. But um, when you win, it changes everything. And uh, like Christian Leitner is another guy, like the mentality. Um, and I, I, I tried to take that on the basketball court. Again, not putting myself in the same conversation as those guys. But uh, Last segment that we have here uh, before we get into shout outs and wrapping up uh, is Letters to Lunch Pail. We have two submissions, first of which comes from Grant Watson. And he says, Luke, if you had to pick a starting five of the best hoopers from Roanoke, who is your starting five? Oh, man, what a question. Um, some of these are going to be really easy off the top. So JJ Reddick's in there. Curtis Staples is in there. Uh, George Lynch went to Carolina, played in the NBA for a long time, is in there. Um, I'll put in Troy Daniels. Um, went to Fleming and then has been in the NBA. Went to VCU and been in the NBA for a long time. We're just going to go all shooting team, and I'll just put myself in there. George Lynch got to hold it down at the five spot, but – you know, Roanoke has uh, some some serious shooters. If, if your listeners don't know who Curtis Staples is, uh, had his jersey retired um, at Virginia. Everybody knows who J.J. Redick is. Troy Daniels is a lights out, just can shoot it from anywhere. You put me in there, we got four guys that can really shoot it. And then George Lynch is just a monster inside. So I'll take those. But the all Roanoke team would battle with a lot of places, that's for sure. And then the last question comes from Evan Massengill. Oh man, see where it <laughs> uh, So all I have here is ask him about Brad Greenberg and dunking on ex-girlfriends. So I'm going to give you the floor here and explain both of these subjects here, Luke. I'm not exactly sure what he's uh, what he's getting at with Brad Greenberg. Um, I'll tell a couple here. So number one, Brad Greenberg was at Radford. And uh, when I'm in high school, he came to look at our team and he might have been recruiting Ben Boggs, who actually went uh, to Virginia Tech with his brother. But um, he was recruiting me and it was it was one of the weirdest recruiting pitches I'd ever heard. And maybe like, you know, I I was somebody who I didn't want to I didn't want all the sugarcoating. I didn't want you to tell me sell me the dream. Shoot me straight. But his recruiting pitch was something like. You know, I think you can play here. You, you know, you're going to have to develop over a few years, but we're going to work with you. And, you know, hopefully at some point you can, you can play at Radford. And I was like, wow, that's the pitch. Like let's work really hard. Maybe you have a chance someday to maybe play a few minutes. Like, wow, man, you don't have to sell me the dream, but you could, you know, fire me up a little bit more than that. Uh, but I did play against, uh, Brad at uh, at Radford when I was at George Mason and they had a guy named Artsium Perikowski. He was uh, like a seven foot one Russian. He made me think about uh, Ivan Drago from Rocky. 
Uh, he was a monster and he ate us alive and they beat the brakes out of us, out of us at Radford. And uh, I'm pretty sure all those wins got taken away from, from Brad because um, our team played a little pro basketball in Russia from what I heard. But, um, you know, it, it was just a funny recruiting pitch from, from that coach Greenberg uh, that I just won't ever forget. And then went to prep school and I guess the rest is history, but, um, and then, so we're, the other story, um, we're just at uh, George Mason and we're playing in some uh, fraternity little intramural basketball tournament thing. And, um, you know, you could you could team up with sororities and you had to have guys and girls on each team. And for whatever reason, uh, the young lady I was dating at the time didn't want to didn't want to play on my team. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'm going to get out here and um I'll, I'll play a little harder than, than I probably should. And so we just, I think I had like 10 dunks in the first half of the game and you weren't allowed to dunk in this league. So they just started t- teeing me up every time. And so I would just come down and dunk it. They'd go miss two free throws and we'd come down and dunk it again. And it was, uh, I don't know why Evan loves that story, but the, the best part of that is I was late to our walkthrough for a game that day. So I went from starting to not starting just because I needed to go dunk in an intramural, you know, whatever pointless scrimmage but anyway last uh last thing we got for you is just sharky shout out so um i can't thank you enough for all your time today this was awesome um not, didn't know we were sitting down with a wikipedia page for the acc basketball coming up this year but um super knowledgeable <laughs> appreciate your time but this is your time where can we find you where can we read your stuff where can we find you on twitter uh, and what do you have to shout out here at the end of the uh, end of the podcast yeah my stuff is easy it's just luke skywalker 11 um Got that uh, another ACC legend from from Skywalker Thompson down there at NC State, David Thompson. Uh, everybody thinks I'm a big Star Wars fan, and I, I've watched. You know, I am a fan, but it's definitely uh, David Thompson. Um, and it's on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, and then I'm just going to shout out the ACC Network crew. Nothing but net comes back really soon. I've had a great time uh, since the network launched. Getting to chop it up with guys like Carlos Boozer. Um, He's been uh, he's been awesome. Uh, Jordan Cornett, Dallin Cuff, Kelsey Briggs. Um, you know, we've had a ton of fun um, just getting to chop it up about the league and seeing the ups and downs. And you get to give uh, Boozer lots of grief when he uh, doesn't have a great year with the um, with the Dukies because he's had so much success and so much fun just kind of dominating for so long. But uh, it's fun to, to get back with that crew. Um, you know, there's Corey Alexander, there's Malcolm Huckabee, there's uh, all kinds of guys. I'm bringing in some newbies uh, that they are just going to be great. You know, a couple of Carolina guys um, are going to join us too, um, Joel Berry and uh, Mr. Smith. So uh, I'll shout out that crew. That's where you get a, a ton of knowledge from and really get like in the locker room stuff. That's what I've enjoyed the most, Boozer and, and his knowledge um, and his just – being in the moment he's been a ton of fun to do stuff with well there is no on the pantheon of uh frat uh frat kids jerseys that they wear to day drinks carlos boozer is uh is probably number one if not number two on uh on that list carlos boozer a classic frat day drinking jersey choice um but luke appreciate your appreciate your time thank you so much and we're looking forward to acc basketball and let us know when you're in blacksburg let us know when you're in blacksburg and um, excited for basketball to tip off here in the next couple of days. 
I'll absolutely do it, man. Thank you guys for having me. Hopefully we can do this again soon. Uh, I know you had you said you had EMAC on before, so I hope this was a good follow-up because that man's first class, another ACC Network legend. For sure, for sure. Take care. Appreciate it, Luke. You guys take care. Thanks, man. Saturday, Virginia Tech Hoops Pod. My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm joined by Ed Williams. Ed, we are now days away from Virginia Tech basketball here as we record on Friday, November 5th. Virginia Tech football plays tonight against BC. We'll see what happens there. But this is a basketball podcast. And no matter what happens tonight, at least we have hoops to look forward to next week. Yeah, man, we're inside a week for the first game. Um, you know, hopefully a week from today, I'll be in Annapolis. Well, I will be in Annapolis, but to get ready to watch a 1-0 Virginia Tech team. Uh, the Hokies play Maine on Tuesday, so just a few days away. But I'm really excited for uh, for this podcast in particular to go over the roster and things like that. But I'm pumped that a week from today, I'll be getting to watch this Hokies team in person in Annapolis. So it's going to be it's going to be a fun week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's pretty hard to believe that the basketball's here already. I'm going to try to make a trip to that to that Navy game as well. So I'll talk to you about that offline. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, I'm purchased tickets yet, but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely taking a look at that. So you know, we had our our first podcast of of the season last week and and talked a bit about the roster, but I figured with today's pod we would get into the roster a little bit more from a rotation standpoint I mean we talked a little bit about what we thought the starting five might be might look like but I I think digging into the rotation and who we're going to see uh, both from a starting standpoint and off the bench play a lot of minutes and kind of what that could look like both early in the season and then it's conference play and then Of course, like we did last year, we'll get into our season predictions as well, some Virginia Tech-specific predictions and, you know, some of our ACC picks as well. Um, So we'll get into that. So let's let's start with this roster, Ed. Um, So we talked a little bit last week. You know, there are guys on this roster that we believe are obviously shoe-wins to start, you know, being Storm Murphy, Justin Mutz, uh, Kebe Aluma, and Naheem Aleen. And the question is, okay, who's going to be – that fifth guy in the starting lineup last week, we talked a lot about, okay, well, you can run with Hunter Couture, but do you want him coming off the bench with the second unit? Because he can kind of be plugged and played wherever, um, you know, do the Hokies go with, you know, a bigger lineup, you know, do they throw Lane Kidd out there? Do they throw, you know, Sean Padula out there as, as a freshman, you know, <laughs> what are, where are they going to go with this, with this starting five? Does Darius Maddox get some run? as a starter, you know, if you're going to play to a lot of minutes, you bring him off the bench as a freshman, just kind of get his feet wet. So, I mean, where, where do you see this going? How many guys deep do you think this rotation is going to go? Um, and I, and you know, where do you think the Hokies will go with this if they want to be more, most successful? Yeah, I think the rotation could be as deep as 10. Um, that's always hard to do through the entire season, but off the bat, there's 10 names on this roster that I think could easily play and push for playing time um, day one. And then, you know, how things unfold as the season progresses, we'll see. But there's 10 names that, that can play and that Mike Young has mentioned that will play in some capacity. Um, I think, 
you know, you've mentioned all the names that are probably the starters, right? Storm Murphy at the one, Naheem Alain at the two. The three is kind of the question mark. Um, Kebe Aluma, obviously, at center. But then last night, I was as I was writing down my notes for this, I was like, you know, there could be a world where Justin Mutz comes off the bench, too. Um, and David Ngasson gets that start. So he's the big question mark I have. David Gasson is the big question mark I have. Um, there's been so much talked about him in the offseason, um, both, you know, in the media and behind the scenes. We've heard things about how, how much he's progressed as a player. Um, at 6'9", he's taller than Justin Mutz, but may have a little bit more ability out on the wing to play maybe a three in a, in a really big lineup. I just it's, – it's hard for me to vision, envision what that's going to look like because I haven't seen it before. Um, David Gasson averaged two points and two rebounds last year, didn't make any three-pointers. So it's really hard for me to envision what he's going to look like as a wing. Um, so my personal – where I would go on Tuesday against Maine, my starting five would be Storm Murphy, Naheem Aline, Darius Maddox at the three, Justin Mutz at the four, and Kevin Lim at the five. Um, I think that lineup is the most traditional lineup uh, that you can throw out there. Darius Maddox is, you know, 6'5". In college, that that'll cut it on the three at, at the wing, uh, especially with the versatility that Justin Mutz brings defensively. I think you can get away with a lot of things with that kind of lineup. And then immediately off the bench, I think David Gasson comes off the bench. Hunter Couture will play significant minutes off the bench, probably twenty plus minutes, um, as he's done in the past. And then the other three names that I think will get playing time are John Ogiaco, Sean Padula, and Lynn Kidd. Um, in what aspect, I'm not sure. I think Sean Padula could push for a significant, you know, eight to 10 to 12 minutes a game um, to give Storm Murphy a breath. I think he's more than capable of that kind of role. And I think he'll be thrown into that role quick here in this season because Sam Jesse asked this question last night when we were doing a Twitter space and, you know, how quickly do we think some of these guys are going to get playing time? And I think right away, because there's no real soft landing spot in this schedule uh, to get freshmen and guys with no minutes in easily. I mean, there's, there's tough games early in the in, on the schedule. So I think Sean Padula plays uh, early and often. I think John Ogiaco probably becomes that, you know, backup center. And then there's a, another question mark, not as big as Gasan, but another question mark is Lynn kid. And what is he? He's huge. Um, he's, if you look at the team picture, he's listed as the same size as Kevin, but he looks almost an inch bigger than Kevin. Um, Link Kidd's a giant dude and very skilled. So um, his progression as the season goes on will be one to keep an eye on as well. But this lineup is uh, very versatile, very deep. There's a lot of ways that Mike Young and the staff can go. And I'm interested to see you know, who trots out there for the opening tip, but that doesn't necessarily indicate a whole lot as to who will play what role as the season progresses. Yeah, a couple of things there. Like Padula has to play. Like he has to play because, I mean, Virginia Tech, if they don't bring Padula along quickly – you're running into a situation, especially if you're going to start Darius Maddox, you're running into a situation where you don't have a de facto backup point guard. Like, do you really want to run Hunter Couture as your backup point guard again? And we talked about last week. I don't think that's something that Virginia Tech wants to do. It's something they were doing last year out of necessity a lot of times. And, and a couple of concerns that I have, if I'm going with a starting lineup that were to include Hunter Couture, right? So Say we're going to go with Storm Murphy, Aline, Couture, Mutz, and Aluma, right? I think that leaves too much exposure off the bench and too many unknowns, right? I mean, we we saw that David Gusan has 
definitely has talent. He was a little bit raw on the offensive side of the floor, but we saw that that was starting to improve as the year went on last year. He was starting to get more comfortable defensively. He brought it from day one and we knew what kind of player he was going to be defensively. But I mean, just think about what kind of exposure that would leave the bench if Darius Maddox is not the guy you're starting at the three, right? Because Darius Maddox didn't play a ton of minutes last year either. Again, very talented, but you'd potentially be running a very raw bench out there, right? Where you have David Gusan getting minutes off the bench, Sean Padula getting minutes off the bench, Darius Maddox getting minutes off the bench, Lynn Kidd, John Ogiaco. I, I think you almost need to bring Couture off the bench just to have continuity with that second unit um, and, and have guys getting minutes who are who are comfortable in any role. I mean, I think Mike Young is, is you know, there's a lot of trust Mike Young puts in Hunter Couture. And, you know, there's a lot of guys on this team that, that Mike Young trusts, but I think the trust level he has in Couture is, is almost unmatched to anyone else on the roster because of where he can stick him. He knows he can play well in the starting lineup. He knows he can play well off the bench. And that's really, really important because some guys, you know, we've seen it at the college level. We've seen it at the NBA level. Some guys just have a different mentality, you know, if they're starting versus coming off the bench. Couture is the same all the time. He's consistent all the time. He's bringing the same level of effort, whether he's starting, whether he's coming off the bench, because he knows he's playing major minutes on this basketball team. I think you almost have to bring him off the bench because you know he can handle it on both sides. To your point about Justin Mutz, that's really interesting because I think if if you want to have even more continuity off the bench, you know, you bring in Mutz just acknowledging that, okay, this is a guy who's going to close the game. Couture is a guy who's going to close the game, you know, especially when we get into ACC play and some of the tougher non-conference games that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Like, we know that those guys are going to be in getting significant minutes. And the question becomes, you know, does Virginia, how much balance does Virginia Tech want to have with their starting five versus the guys they're bringing up off the bench, especially if you're going to play nine or 10 guys? I think there's, when you have a deeper rotation, you have an ability to mix and match a bit more. I think it will be matchup based. I mean, I think Storm Murphy, Keve Luma, and Naheem Aline are almost going to start no matter what. Uh, we've seen Naheem Aline just as the starter consistently for Mike Young here over the first few years of his career. I have a hard time seeing Naheem Aline coming off the bench. I think he could do it, but in most lineups, we've seen we've seen Naheem Aline as a starter. I think he's a shoe-in. You're going to start Murphy and you're going to start Aluma. And quite honestly, I think you're starting Mutz too. Like I think it's I think it's a good idea, Ed, because I think there needs to be balance. I think there's credence to that argument. I just I don't know if Mike how comfortable Mike Young is bring anybody else off the bench except for Hunter Couture as far as like swing guys who could either start or come off the bench. Yeah, I agree. And back to that kind of soft landing spot in the schedule, there is not really one, but in terms of to try to help with that, you could go with exactly what you talked about. Hunter Couture coming off the bench with a Sean Padula makes Sean Padula's life a lot easier. Um, if the two of them have to play together, I mean, you can obviously mix and match and the odds that, you know, those two sub at the exact same time always, but you know, there's a lot of experience in Hunter Couture and it would help Sean Padula come along. I'm sure a calming factor. And you could further that even more by putting Justin Mutz on that second unit as well. Um, at least to start games, like you said, you know, the best five who are going to close games are probably Murphy, Aline, Couture, Mutz, and Aluma. But, um, we still like the question mark of what David Gasson is. I have no idea. And I'm excited to find out, but if he is what people are saying he is as a very serviceable player, who's going to make that jump from two points, two rebounds to, you know, nine points, 10 points, four or five rebounds. That's a huge shot in the arm 
Right. Um, you could start Gasson with Murphy, Elaine, Maddox, and Aluma and allow kind of Gasson and Maddox to get their feet wet um, in a much larger role that they didn't have last year. So there's a lot of different ways that this lineup can go. I'm, I'm interested to see who comes out there on, on uh, Tuesday against Maine, but by the time ACC play starts, it could be completely different. Um, there's a lot of different directions this could go. I, I do agree with you, though. Sean Padula needs to play. Um, I, I want Hunter Couture off the ball as much as possible because he's just so much better that way. I mean, he shot 45% from the field, 43% from three last year. Um, give him the space he needs to shoot that three. And, you know, if he's playing off the ball, I think his three-point percentage goes up even higher than the 43% he shot last year. Um, I was really interested to see that Naheem Aline shot 40% from three last year. Uh, I, was, I don't know why I was surprised by that. He's a good shooter. I just – I figured he was down in, like, the 35 38% range. 40, I mean, that's that's legit. And then, obviously, we don't – Storm Murphy can shoot the ball. So, um, there's a lot of shooters. I'm, I'm – my biggest question mark is David Gasson followed – closely behind by Darius Maddox. What are those two guys in their second year in the in college basketball and in this system? Um, we know Kevin, Kevin Luma is a known commodity at this point. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit later as well. Uh, he shot 35% from three last year. That's outrageous for 6'10 center. Um, and then another thing I thought about, and I know it was talked about as the season ended last year, was Mike Young wanted to get bigger so that he could have the flexibility to move Aluma to the four. Um, I think there is going to be times where Aluma does play the four. His ability on the perimeter is good enough where he can do that. And John Ogiaco or Lynn Kidd come in and play the five. So there's a lot of matchup flexibility and uh, versatility that this team has with the ability to play 10 deep. I mean, 10 guys who, you know, with the exception of Padula, have played at some capacity in college basketball. I mean, Darius Maddox has barely played and Gasson barely played, but they've played. So there's a lot of guys that are more than capable and can help Mike Young do kind of whatever he wants with this lineup. The two most pivotal guys on this roster, in my opinion, are David Gusan and Darius Maddox. Because I think if you're able to get something out of Gusan from a position where last year he was playing under the basket a lot, but now he's able to step out. And if he's improved as a shooter, like everybody's saying he has, you know, if he makes like a Keve Aluma-like jump where, you know, Aluma all of a sudden comes out last year, he starts banging threes. It's like, okay, well, now you have some lineup and matchup versatility, right? Because we know Gusan can play defensively in the ACC. We've seen it in limited playing time, right? Can we see that in a bigger role now, defensively and offensively, more importantly? Is he going to be a guy at six foot nine who can spread the floor? Because if that ends up being the case, and like you mentioned, this is a this is a lineup that can be really dangerous and really versatile. Like you said, too, which I think is a good point, Mike Young did bring up after that loss in the uh, in the NCAA tournament last year to Florida. He brought up right after the game that, you know, he wanted to get bigger and he wanted to play Aluma at the four. Does that foreshadow Mutz coming off the bench like you mentioned? You know, just because we didn't see it last year doesn't mean we won't see it this year. And I think we'll we'll probably see Mutz starting at first, but if Lynn Kidd is coming along quicker, if if Gusan's coming along quicker, you know maybe bringing Mutz off the bench isn't the worst thing in the world. Maybe we do see some more lineups like you mentioned, where Lynn Kidd's playing the five and, and Aluma's in at the four. Maybe you start out with that and and, and bring Mutz off the bench. Um, can Mutz be a player 
that can that can play kind of that hybrid three four. You know, we we know what he is defensively, and we saw his offensive game continue to improve as the year went on last year as well. I think there's just a lot of upside with this lineup and a lot of versatility. I guess if I had one concern about the lineup as a whole, my biggest concern would be what do the Hokies get at point guard, right? If Storm Murphy were to A, go down, hopefully he doesn't get injured, right? But if he were to be injured, be in foul trouble, whatever, what does Tech get at point guard, right? What if Sean Padula doesn't come along as quickly as we're expecting him to, right? That's that's the question for me. I mean, having a having a true freshman as and, and again, very, very good player coming out of high school, but having a true freshman playing significant minutes behind Storm Murphy, uh, it can be a blessing and a curse depending on how he immerses himself to, to college basketball. Do you push Darius Maddox over to the one? Right. I think he's better suited off ball, but do you push him over to the one? Do you have Kator be the, the primary point guard again when when? You know, you have a guy in Storm Murphy that's out of the lineup. So that's kind of my biggest question mark. I, I think the Hokies have a lot of depth on the wing. I think they have a lot of depth uh, down low in the front court. You know, there's playable depth there, I think, certainly. The question for me is if Murphy gets into foul trouble, if Aline gets into foul trouble, are the Hokies forced to go bigger because they're not confident that you know, their backup point guard in Padula can or can't get it done. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of them, but that's kind of a question for me. If, if he doesn't play great, then I think, you know, the Hokies could be in a situation where they have no choice but to go bigger, right? They have no choice but to but to play Couture a lot of minutes and and play Ojiako and, and play Lynn Kidd and David Gusan along with Aluma and Mutz. They may have to go bigger in some games. So that's a mild concern. I mean, I think Padula will, will immerse himself well. I think he's de- definitely going to get more playing time than Darius Maddox did or Joe Bamisil did or David Gusan did a year ago, just out of necessity. I think he's going to have to play some significant minutes as a freshman. Like you mentioned, 10, 10 12, 14 minutes a game, I, I don't think it's out of the question. Yeah, the backup point card thing is kind of a nice to have, not a need to have. I think we saw last year that, I mean, we barely had a point guard last year. Like that's, I don't mean that, you know, like a negative way towards Wabisa Beatty, but he was barely scoring. So like, if you have somebody off the bench behind uh, Murphy or even just move Naheem Aline over, I mean, all you have to do is bring the ball up and get the offense going. It's not like, you know, we saw last year, this team can be successful without a a Justin Robinson, like point guard who's going to average 10 and seven or something crazy like that. Like, we don't need that dynamic of a player in this lineup with the skilled bigs we have and the shooters and the wings. I mean, it's really just, can you bring the ball up without tripping over yourself and turning it over? I think Hunter Couture as the season got on last year was more than capable of doing that. Um, I'm really excited about Hunter Couture this year too, because he made a significant jump on both ends of the floor in his second season last year. I mean, offensively he became we saw signs of him becoming a player that is not just three ball reliant. He would go to the basket, you know, much more confident last year. And his ability on the defensive end was super impressive last year. Take, took a lot of charges, played really good on both sides of the floor. So I'm excited to see if he can make a similar, you know, positive step on both ends. Cause this team does have question marks defensively, um, especially guarding guards. Uh, will be Sabidi, that's where he thrived, right? It was taking away the best players or best guard on the other team um I think Naheem Aline will step up defensively and I, I don't think it'll be a problem 
but I am interested to see, um, you know, what the defense looks like for this team because that is probably the biggest question mark. We know that they're going to score. They're, they're going to have no problem scoring. But defensively, what is Virginia Tech going to look like? Uh, and we'll find out. I mean, I don't know how much we'll find out from Na- Maine and Navy on the defensive end of the floor, but the rest of the schedule does ramp up pretty quick in terms of some tough non-conference games. So defensively, I have questions. On the offensive side, uh, Maddox and Gasson are my two biggest um, pieces to take a look at because if those guys take a jump in their uh, career arc here, that that's a huge, huge shot in the arm that I'm not sure a lot of fans in the offseason were anticipating. I think a lot of people were really worried when Tyrese Radford left, but if those two can prove to be uh, capable or more than capable, um, huge, huge jump in the trajectory of this team and where they could end up, which we can talk about now. Team- yeah, no, I was going to say, what do you think this team's best lineup is defensively? I'm, I'm thinking about this. And I think I think it could be like Murphy. I, potentially it could be Aluma, Mutz, and Gusan, Murphy, Couture. Defensively, I would just – I would take Murphy off. I mean, I, I haven't seen him enough to know what he brings defensively, but just from a size alone, I would assume he is somewhat limited. Um, I would put in Hamelin, Hunter Couture, Gasson, Mutz, and Aluma, and that's your yeah. best defensive line. If you need to stop, I mean, yeah, I, I'd say that's your best defensive lineup. I mean, it's very versatile too, with you know six nine and six seven um, guys who are very athletic and capable on the wing, and Mutz and Gasson. So I think that's your best defensive lineup for sure. Yeah, yeah, swapping out uh, swapping out Storm for Aline is is not a bad idea um, because Aline can guard. Yeah, I mean, you showed the ability last year. You can guard the one if he needs to. Uh, he's definitely rangy enough. And, yeah, I, th- I think there's versatility there with Gusan and Mutz on the wing and their ability to defend away from the basket. They were able to show that last year uh, when needed. So, yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. You got some predictions for this team, Ed, just like one-off, like player predictions. I mean, I think we did a bold prediction segment last year when we first launched this podcast. There's nothing bold about this. Like, I think Kebe Alou is going to be all ACC. I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's anything anything bold about that. I'd say we're probably both in agreement there. Oh, yeah. I, I actually I actually will go a step further. I think Aluma wins ACC Player of the Year. Um, I, I'm, I'm not buying – I mean, I'm not not buying Paolo Banchero at Duke, but, like, right. I got to see something before I'm just going to crown him like that. Right. Uh, not sure he's Zion or anything. So I, I actually think Kevin Luma wins ACC player of the year. That would be my bold prediction, I guess. Uh, and another one is that I think there's going to be a hokey on every team on the postseason awards list. First, second, third, honorable mention and defensive. So I think Kevin is obviously on first team. I think Naheem Aline makes a jump this year on the offensive side and averages enough points where he's going to get himself into that second team conversation. Yep. Um, and then, Third team and honorable mention, I'm split between who I think lands where, either Storm Murphy or Justin Mutz on either of those teams. Uh, I think those two guys have good years for this team and help push us into the higher higher uh, standings in the ACC, and they'll get rewarded for it at the end by making those two teams. And then another one that I like is Justin Mutz on the all-defensive team. Um, I think he has the ability to guard so many different positions and, I, you know, we heard it on the Sunday Saturday interview with him that, you know, it's an area of emphasis for Justin Mutz this year is defensively. So I think he's going to take really, really good strides there and make a make the defensive team. Um, 
the one I again don't know is like what is David Gasson like right where did he end up in postseason I have no idea I haven't seen enough to make a claim like that yet but um I guess my biggest bold one there is that Aluma wins player of the year because not a lot of people picking him it's everyone's kind of crowning Paolo Banchero already hasn't even played a game yet yeah no I'm with you I mean Banchero will be good Duke is probably my pick to win the ACC because of Banchero but I'm not sure that we can just say he's going to be player of the year if he hasn't played a single minute of college basketball yet. I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah. So I had very, very similar picks to you. I think both Mutz and Aline make second team all ACC. Um, I think Aluin makes first team. Uh, I think Sean Padula makes the ACC all freshman team, which would be, well, like which would one. mean, yeah, which would mean that he's going to a play significant minutes and then B be very good, which I think the Hokies are banking on. We talked about some of the most important players on the team, but I think the guy that could surprise everybody the most is Sean Padula and his ability to to play a lot of minutes, not only behind Storm Murphy, but maybe alongside Storm Murphy some as well. I think we could see that lineup in there. I liked your Justin Mutz all-defensive team in the ACC. I had that written down as well. Uh, I did not make the bold prediction with Kevin Aluma for ACC Player of the Year, but I really like that too. So. I think those are all relatively reasonable. I think probably our two boldest predictions are ACC All-Freshman Team for Sean Padula, ACC Player of the Year for Keve Aluma. But I, I still think, like, Keve Aluma being the ACC Player of the Year, I mean, if you had a shortlist of, like, three or four guys, he'd be on there. So I don't think it's I don't think it's it's too, too bold. I think it's just the media is so enthralled with Banchero that, you know, I think everybody just expects that he'll win ACC Player of the Year. But he is a true freshman. So we gotta we gotta keep that in mind. Not that it ever really matters if you can play, you can play, especially in college basketball. But yeah, just something to consider there for sure. So yeah, I mean, Aluma was picked second in preseason, so it's not like it's outlandish. But right, uh, just the idea that a Virginia Tech person is going to beat a Duke player, uh, right? I do I do think it's possible, well within the normal possibility. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he showed the he showed the ability last year to be that type of player. Um, he had a couple of rough shooting nights like in the middle of the ACC play, but then he got it back rolling towards the end of the year. And obviously it was a big reason why Virginia Tech made the NCAA tournament when nobody was really expecting him to last year. All right, let's talk about the, the ACC as a whole now. Um, obviously we're going to get into where we think Virginia Tech would finish. Let me read off real quick, just the, the preseason media poll. And, you know, you and I can just name our, our top five or six teams in the conference. If you want to, I don't think we need to go one through 15, but just to kind of remind everybody, uh, this was the predicted order of finish from the ACC media poll um, that, that took place, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now. Duke received 47 first place votes. They are the first team uh, on the ACC. They are the ACC media pick uh, to, to win the conference. Florida State second with 14 first place votes. North Carolina had five first place votes. They are third. Virginia fourth with nine first place votes. Virginia Tech was fifth, picked fifth in the ACC with five first place votes. Louisville received a single first place vote. They were sixth, Syracuse seventh, Notre Dame eighth, NC State nine, Georgia Tech 10, Clemson 11, 12 Miami, 13 Wake, 14 Pitt, 15 Boston College. Ed, with the ACC media's predicted order finished, did you have any major gripes with with the poll, as much as you can for a preseason media poll? No, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense that Notre Dame uh, jumped up significantly from where they finished last year. That team is definitely due for a nice little bounce back. Uh, they've got a lot of guys returning, and Mike Bray's a good coach. So it made sense that they were, you know, significantly higher than where they finished last year. 
Um, I do think Wake Forest is going to take some positive steps forward this year and nothing major, but I think they'll be better. Um, the one that's in the top seven that I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever, is Louisville. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan of uh, Chris Mack and Louisville, and I, I just don't get it. I mean, they're they're good, but they're not great. I think Syracuse will be a little bit better than they will be. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to, you know, where my rankings align with where the preseason poll landed, uh, I think Florida State finishes first. I think Florida State's the best team. They, they're ridiculous. Um, very athletic, obviously, as they are every single year. Leonard Hamilton's got a good squad. So I got Florida State at one, Duke at two, uh, Virginia Tech at third. I think Tech jumps up into the top three um, over top of UNC and UVA. So I got Virginia Tech third, um, North Carolina fourth, Virginia fifth, um, Syracuse sixth, Louisville seventh. So I only went as far as seven on mine. But because um, after that, you know, usually seven teams in the ACC, you're like five, you're a lock, six, you're on the bubble, and seven, you might also be on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. So I kind of figured seven was a good place to cut it off there. Um, I'm kind of hesitant to have UVA fifth. I think Syracuse could be better than them. Uh, so you could flip-flop Syracuse at five and UVA at six, um, which would be – it's just so hard to bet against Tony Bennett. It's impossible. Like – they have nobody on their team this year and, and they're still, you know, picked fourth in the, by the media poll. So right. that's my, uh, my top seven, Florida State, Duke, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, UVA, Syracuse, Louisville. I did a top eight and only because uh, we brought Notre Dame into this conversation. I do think Notre Dame is going to be much better. And this is actually a low key make or break here for Mike Gray. Like if they don't make a tournament this year, they could potentially move on from him. I mean, he's been there for so long, it seems kind of crazy to say that, but Notre Dame hasn't really fielded a competitive ACC team in about four or five years now. So at some point, you guys start making tournaments in South Bend, especially with the talent that Notre Dame has on their roster. Now, Mike Bray has recruited well um, his past recruiting class, so I, I think there is definitely an infusion of talent on that team that they didn't necessarily have last year. Plus, how much are you going to put into a COVID year with college basketball as well? But I, I think this is a make-or-break year for Mike Bray. Uh, so let me give you my top eight now. I still went with Duke one. I do like that Florida State pick, and I was flip-flopping them. But I have Duke, Florida State. I also have Virginia Tech third, finishing just ahead of North Carolina. I have UVA fifth. Notre Dame, actually, I have sixth in the ACC. I mean, I think they're going to make a pretty big jump. And then I have Syracuse and Louisville. I buy what you're saying on Louisville. I don't think they're as good as sixth in the ACC. I'm also sour on Chris Mack. I'm also not sure Syracuse is going to be all that good either. Like, I get they have Buddy Bayheim and everything, but I just don't. Outside of him, I'm not too, too impressed. They got pretty hot towards the end of last year, and I'm wondering how sustainable that is. Um, so I have them actually finishing eighth in the ACC. And then that's as far as I went. I mean, I think NC State will be fine. I agree with you on Wake. I think Wake will make a jump. I still think they're probably a year away from making an AC, from an NCAA tournament, maybe two. Um, quite the rebuild there for Forbes, but – um, I do think Wake will make a jump. I'm with you there. Clemson is the team to watch. Like, that's, that's very interesting because it feels like Brownell just kind of has them up and down all the time. It's like some years, they, they like last year, for example, start out real hot, cool down, obviously, and, you know, just didn't play the, the brand of basketball towards the end of the year that we had seen earlier in the year. And it just feels like you never know what to expect with Clemson. Maybe they're a little bit low at 11, 
but at the same time, it's like, how can you also justify putting them higher considering kind of what they've been? They've been really topsy-turvy. So that's kind of the wild card. Clemson's the wild card. I can see them, you know, jump up, be pretty good. I can see them also finish right around where they're slated, but that, that's the one wild card team, I think, from the bottom seven, at least in, in my estimation with the ACC. Yeah, it's pretty fun, like, staring at this list and seeing VT in the same realm as Duke, Florida State, North Carolina, UVA. Yeah. And it's cool that they're there. And I think, you know, part of the media having Virginia Tech fifth was they didn't want to put them above Duke, Florida State, UNC, or UVA. Right. Um, but I think I, – I, I don't see a world where Virginia Tech's not better than Virginia this year. I agree. Um, I, I mean, unless Tony Bennett just does his thing again, which is definitely within the realm of possible, but – I don't know. Virginia Tech's way more talented than Virginia is this year. Um, North Carolina is just a big question mark. They have all the talent in the world. I mean, Armando Baycott came back. Everybody came back for the most part, except for Walker Kessler. So they've got plenty of talent. It's just like, you know, what are they going to get? Who are they going to be? There's going to be an identity change there in a lot of ways. Um, they're probably going to shoot a lot more threes, less traditional big men lineups. So uh, UNC is just kind of a question mark. And then, you know, Duke is Duke. They're whatever. They annoy me. Um, but they have so much talent this year. And we've mentioned Banchero a couple times, but they've just got a lot of really good players. So, yeah, I mean, the, the ACC is hopefully poised for a bounce back. I mean, a lot of people considered last year a down year. There was you know, a good argument to be made that the Big Ten was the best conference in college basketball last year. But I think uh, the ACC makes that bounce back and reclaims the title, uh, gets, you know, six or seven teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, I mean, I, I love Luke Hancock's pick of tech at number one. I would love to see it. It's just it's <laughs> tough to pick against. It's tough to pick against Florida state, especially. I mean, I can see Duke having struggles, um, just cause they're so young and they always are every year. They're young, young team. Um, so I can see them having off nights and dropping games. They shouldn't, but Florida state is just a buzz off. So it's tough for me to pick Virginia tech over Florida state to win the league. Yeah. Um, I like VT at third, man. That's a, that's a good spot to be. Yeah, I always – I have trouble picking Virginia Tech, I mean, at, over Florida State. You know, we talk about – you know, we could talk about Duke and the off year last year didn't play very well and, you know, opted out of the NCAA tournament that they weren't going to make anyway, right? <laughs> we have – we haven't picked first this year, and I think that's fine because they have a ton of talent. But, you know, I think they'll take their lumps. I think they'll certainly be much better than last year. It's Coach K's final year. There's a lot to play for there. Stakes are high. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The, the reason why I have trouble picking Virginia Tech higher than third is because Virginia Tech always, always, always struggles against Florida State, just like on a one-on-one -on -one situation. Now, I think Virginia Tech's roster is better equipped now and, and probably in, in the best shape it's been to combat Florida State, but Florida State is just historically just so big in the front court, and Virginia Tech always struggles with the size of Florida State. We saw Virginia Tech struggle with the size of Florida last year. That's a big reason why they didn't win the round of 64 game. Uh, very similar. I mean, Virginia Tech goes into these Florida State matchups quite frequently, and they get killed on the glass, right? And it ends up being a, being the deciding outcome in, in a very close game. So I have trouble picking Virginia Tech just because Florida State historically has been such a tough matchup. I have trouble picking Virginia Tech higher than third. And I just think Duke is, for as talented as Virginia Tech is, you know, Duke's got the top-end talent. Yes, they're young. But they got that top-end talent. Virginia Tech obviously matches up much better with Duke historically than they do with Florida State because of the reasons I just mentioned. But like, like you said, third would not be bad. You know, if Virginia Tech finishes third in the ACC, like they're going to have a top five or six seed in the tournament, maybe even higher, right? So 
I mean, how, how much can you complain about that? I think if you're a Virginia Tech fan, considering where the Hokies were picked as a double-digit as, as a double digit team in the ACC media poll last year, considering where Virginia Tech finished, now pick, picked fifth in the ACC, if Tech finishes in the top three, I don't think anybody is complaining about that. Like, it's all, it's all gravy. Everybody loves Mike Young. Like, this is, this is a team that can definitely make some noise. This is the best team Virginia Tech has had uh, it certainly in the last few years, um, even going back to, to Buzz's last team, I like the balance of this team more. Yes, Tech's a little bit a little bit younger um, on the wing, certainly, and you know with with some of the backups in the backcourt. But that veteran leadership it has a very similar vibe to that Justin Robinson led Virginia Tech team with Bibbs and all them. Like it's got a very similar vibe. You got three graduate students starting here, like guys who have played a ton of minutes in meaningful basketball you know storm murphy shoots the lights out the gym you know you got kevy aluma who made the jump to the acc and looked like one of the best players in the conference last year justin mutz got better and better as the year went on and i think he's in for a big year as well and hunter couture you know everybody was wondering when he came in with mike young the question was okay this guy was slated to go play at wofford is he an acc player he's become like the swiss army knife of the team and one of the most important players in the ACC, at least with some of the top, with some of the top teams in the conference, like to have a Hunter Couture coming off the bench or even starting in a pinch to, to have that guy on your roster. I mean, Hunter Couture could play his role on several of the top teams in the ACC, you know, so he's turned into a bona fide ACC player and he's been very good. So yeah, I, I like Virginia Tech and, and where they're heading. And I think this is this is going to be a, a really big year for the Hokies. Um, and we'll we'll kind of see what happens at. Yeah, and just to kind of add on to what you were just talking about with Virginia Tech's historical struggles with Florida State, it's in a lot of ways the stylistic thing, like you mentioned, and the size issues um, that Florida State always represents. But uh, I think that's part of the reason Mike Young was so emphatic at the post game of the Florida game that we need to get bigger um, is to deal with the Florida States. And then you mentioned the Florida loss, but I'll go even one further. The North Carolina loss in the ACC tournament game last year, Tech got hammered on the glass. So I think getting bigger was a huge area of emphasis. And I think they have done that um, with David Gasson's growth. Um, you know, it sounds like he added 10 pounds of muscle in the offseason, which is fantastic. Yeah. Right. Uh, Justin Mott's getting better. Keve, hopefully getting a little bit more physical and comfortable with physicality. Um, and then John Ogiaco and Lincoln off the bench. You got two 6'10 um, strong guys coming off the bench. So they did get bigger. Um, and I think it will pay dividends. And then, you know, the comparisons to the 2019 team, uh, this team is definitely deeper than that team was, without a doubt. That team right. was very top heavy with their talent. Um, so this team is definitely deeper. There's still, you know, a lot of question marks. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but uh, I think anywhere in that three to five range finish for Virginia Tech would be uh, very, very welcome from the fan base. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't want to. I don't want to define the season based on where the Hokies finish in the SCA tournament because there is such a high level of randomness to that, depending on who you draw in your side of the bracket, who the matchups are, and that sort of thing. It's so matchup-based. But I do think Virginia Tech is in a better spot, to your point, now from a roster composition standpoint where they can match up better with all different types of teams. And certainly there are going to be some teams that give Virginia Tech some issues, and we'll 
we'll see that kind of pan out and see what that looks like as the year goes on. I still think bigger teams could potentially hurt Virginia Tech just because of the youth that Virginia Tech still has in the front court behind Oluma and Mutz. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I think Virginia Tech is certainly, certainly better equipped. What do you think would define, I guess, a, a top five finish in the ACC would define a, a successful season for Virginia Tech, and then we'll see what happens in the tournament. What would be a disappointing season for Virginia Tech in your mind? And, and frame it in terms of where the Hokies finish in the ACC. Because I think we all agree, like, if Tech, if Tech doesn't get an NCAA tournament bid, this has been a disaster, right? Which... I just can't, unless they have major injuries across the board, I really can't see that scenario happening with who they're bringing back. But what would define a, a disappointing season for you? I would be pretty upset if they slipped to seven and Syracuse and Louisville jumped them. Yep. Um, for a couple of different reasons. One, because I think our rosters are way better than them. And I think we have a better coach than both of them. Um, but two, because those are teams that we often find ourselves in battles with on the recruiting trail. So um, it would be nice to just kind of, stiff arm them and stay one or two spots ahead of each of those teams Yep. Uh, on the rankings. And same with Notre Dame too. I mean, we, there've been a couple of times where we're battling with Notre Dame on the trail. So, um, you know, I think anywhere, if we fall past five, that'd be, that'd be annoying. Um, which is tough to say, cause they're picked fish, finish fifth, you know? So I just, I would, I would hate to see Louisville and Syracuse jump us. Um, finishing three ahead of North Carolina would be great, but, um, yeah, I would say anything outside of, you know, if you finish in that seven, eight range, that's definitely, definitely a bummer because then you're not in the tournament at seven or right. eight. I don't, I mean, seven, maybe eight, definitely not. Um, yeah, this team, you know, it's, it's so hard to say, like, you have to make the NCAA tournament, but this team is set up in a way that they have to make the NCAA tournament. Right. Um, yeah. Kevin Aluma, Storm Murphy have one more year. Um, Justin Mott's one more year. You know, those are three of your most important, if not your best players. Um, so yeah, I, I think they've got to, you know, push the chips in here and make a nice little run at it. I can see this team making the sweet 16. I, you, you know, it's hard to say that's, you know, that's definitely not the ceiling, but it's definitely not the floor either. I mean, you can't say like, Oh, they're going to make it, you know, NCAA tournament's a crap shoot. Yeah. It's I random. Just, yep. But yeah, I, I think anything less than, you know, six in the ACC would be a disappointment. Agree. I mean, even if the ACC is better, like we both expect it to be, you know, even if the ACC ends up being a much better conference this year than it was a year ago, you know, where Duke bounces back and, and North Carolina is more like the team we saw, you know, three years ago versus the last two. I mean, Carolina was better last year, but, um, you know, that, that team two years ago was a complete and utter disaster. So if Carolina gets back to being the team that they were, um, you know, before the last couple of years of Roy Williams under Hubert Davis, that certainly improves the conference. If Virginia ends up being very good with, I want to call it the Island of Misfit Toys because that wouldn't be fair to Tony Bennett. He recruits really well, but a, a very young roster. And, you know, I think a lot of people are, and I know I don't want to say a lot of people because I, I don't think that's totally fair either. The, the media is high on Virginia. Like they still have a fourth, even though it's a, it's a young roster. I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans in particular are just saying, yeah, like UVA, like they're not going to be initial, like they're, they're ranked way too high or picked way too high in the ACC media poll. Sure. That could be the case, but I'm with you. I have a hard time betting against Tony Bennett. I really do. And I just think they're going to have a competent, a competent team, you know, good enough to be a top five or six team in the ACC. Yeah. His system's just so hard to prepare for. And like, especially, you know, 
on those random Tuesday nights in December and January when you have to go up to Charlottesville and play them and play that, you know, boring brand of basketball. And that's against that style of defense. It's just, it's easy to, you know, catch teams slipping and get wins, like stack up wins. And we've seen them do it for the past few years, just stack up ACC wins over and over and over again, because it's just tough to prepare for. And it's tough to play against if you don't do it all the time. Um, that's part of why they've, you know, had some struggles in, you know, the postseason is you give a team a little bit more time to prepare for that. Um, they can figure it out better, but it is just such a tough thing to play against. And it's a grind and it's a grind of a game during the grind of a season. And Virginia, you know, finds ways to stack up wins. So, yeah, I have a hard time betting against Tony Bennett, too, even with, you know, their roster that is not up to their usual standards. Right. Do you have a uh, sleeper pick in the ACC, like a team outside of, let's say outside of the top five, right, in, in the in the media poll? So not Duke or Florida State, Carolina, UVA or Virginia Tech. Do you have a sleeper pick that could win the ACC regular season? Oh, win the whole thing? Uh, win the whole thing. Is there a team outside of the top five that you could see jumping up and jumping up and winning? No, but if I had to pick one, I would probably say Notre Dame and Mike yeah. Ray. They're very yeah. experienced roster, and they were bad last year, kind of inexplicably bad. Um, I think they'll figure it out. Mike Bray's a good coach, and he'll write the ship and stick around in South Bend for you know another ten years after that. Yeah, that's 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 my pick too. And then if I, if there was a sleeper to maybe make the tournament um, out of kind of like that bottom seven or eight, I mean outside of Notre Dame, I think my pick my pick would be either Georgia Tech or Clemson, just because. I mean, Passner quietly is putting together a really nice program there at Georgia Tech. Like, yeah. they, they were figuring it out last year as the year went on, too. Um, I know they lost some talent off that roster, but uh, he's, got, he's got a good team there, and he's building something. And it took a little bit longer than I think Georgia Tech fans wanted, but I think Passner doesn't get, doesn't get enough credit for the coaching job that he does. Yeah, he's a good coach, and Clemson's a good call, too. I just I don't think Brad Brownell is a very good coach. I don't either. <laughs> they always have some good players, but they can never put it together. Hence why Lynn Kidd is now in a Virginia Tech uniform and not right. Clemson. So uh, it's tough to, you know, expect them to do anything over a long stretch of time consistently. Uh, they can get anybody on any night, but consistency is the big issue for the, for the Clemson team. Yeah, totally agree. All right. So real quick, let's get into the, let's get into the first couple of games. I know we went long in kind of that ACC discussion, but um, like we mentioned, Virginia Tech tips off next Tuesday night, 8 p.m. at Castle Coliseum against Maine. And we expect Virginia Tech to roll against Maine. What are some things that you're looking for, though, in this game, you know, with it being the opener? Like, where, what are a couple things you're going to be keeping your eye on? Darius Maddox, David Gasson, and Sean Padula. Yep. I mean, it's as simple as that. We, there's a lot of knowns on this team. And I expect all those guys to continue to be what they were, if not better. Um, but those three in particular, Maddox, Padula and Gasson, I'm really excited to watch and see kind of what kind of role they have right off the bat and what strides they've made in the off season, uh, how comfortable they look, those kind of things. So I'm going to be watching those three for sure. You'll be at that Navy game Friday night. I may be there. So I'll keep you posted. Maybe there. I have no reason not to. You got to come. Yeah. I mean, my wife will be my wife will be out of town. She'll be at the. Uh, she's actually go. going to Blacksburg for the Duke game. I'm not going to the Duke game in Blacksburg. It's a girls' weekend, and I don't know what am I supposed to do. So she'll she'll be down there, and I have no excuse not to. So 
may drag my brother-in-law to Navy if he's listening to this. May go check that game out next Friday night. Uh, yeah, I mean, expectations for the Navy game. Hope you should roll there as well. Um, but, I mean, I think with, with both of these games, Navy and Maine, I think what I'm most looking forward to is what's the minutes distribution look like, right? And, I mean, it may not be a, a fair indicator of what we'll kind of see moving forward against better competition, but how much playing time is Mike Young willing to give Darius Max, Evan Gusan, Sean Padula, you know, early in the season, John Ojiako even, right? Like, how willing is Mike Young with those minutes, right? And, you know, is it more even, right? Is he going, you know, eight, nine, 10 guys deep with, you know, those bench guys playing like a third of the minutes, you know? So that's what I'm interested in seeing. I I think he's going to try to get those guys feet wet pretty quickly, but you and I both fully anticipated two and no start for Virginia Tech. Anything less than that would be a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they got, they'll win both. I, I have no issues saying that i'm trying to look up who the game before virginia tech is in annapolis because i believe if you have one ticket you have two tickets and there's a lot of hokey fans in and around the dc area that could easily make that jump up to annapolis so yeah uh, i'm expecting there to be a lot of hokey fans uh in attendance at least i hope so and i guess you can technically count it as a road game because it's a home game for navy so um that's nice for scheduling purposes, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Now it'll be, it'll be interesting. It's good to get Virginia tech twice in the DC Metro area here in the first couple months of the season. That's uh, that's always welcomed for us Northern Virginia Hokies. So yeah, it'll certainly, it'll certainly be interesting to see, you know, what Virginia tech is, is able to do um, in the, in the first part of the season. We'll, we'll come back before, you know, we get into the second week of games you know, after Navy, Virginia Tech's got Radford and they got St. Francis and then Merrimack uh, for the next three games. So the first five games, I think we're all reasonably expecting a 5-0 and start, uh, but we'll be back uh, next week to uh, discuss the two opening games against Maine and Navy, kind of where, where the Hokies are at and, you know, kind of what we've been seeing um, in the early part of the season. But, Ed, do you have anything else before we wrap it up? No, I just want to add one thing that it sounds like Mike, me and you are going to record some sort of national podcast too. We are. Feed on the Sons of Saturday national feed as well. So if you're a college basketball fan in general, not just exclusive, um, we'll push that out on social media and would love for people to give that a listen as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if you guys um, are subscribing to Sons of Saturday national college football podcast that I host already, it'll be on that same feed. So no reason to, to go anywhere else, but Ed and I will have a national college basketball podcast that we will be releasing over the weekend. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot of ACC on this podcast. So we'll get in the ACC again, but, you know, we'll talk about the other power five conferences as well. And we'll get into Gonzaga, of course, and, you know, what to expect out of them because we know Gonzaga is likely in for another big year. So uh, we'll discuss all that in the national podcast. We'll be back next week with this Virginia Tech podcast, hopefully recapping a 2-0 and start for the Hokies. But until then, thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.